So, today we're thinking about women's ministry in the Bible, and last week we were thinking of God's design for men and women. There are three key words we were thinking about. Equality, men and women equally are made in the image of God. Diversity, although we're equally made in the image of God, there's different roles given to men and women within the home and within the church. Men are the leaders, the loving leaders, and women are to be the helpers. But that's no derogatory term. We think of how God is the helper, and He's described in that way in the Bible. And then we, so there's quality, diversity, and then complementarity, that word we introduced last week, where we complement each other, we complete each other, that a church is only what it should be when men and women together are using their gifts to serve the Lord. Last Sunday night, we're thinking about how God's design has been corrupted and twisted, and then how it is redeemed, restored through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're going to feed on from that, and today we're thinking about women's ministry, and then next week we're going to be thinking about men's ministry. So, in reviewing women's ministry today, we must acknowledge the many good things that happen in this area within our church whether it be in our organizations like parents and toddlers over the years, Girls' Brigade, PW, in the women's prayer meeting, in the women's midweek, or whether it be even privately work that is, goes on that few people know about where people, women, are helping other women. The purpose of reviewing women's ministry is to help us to heed the call of Scripture that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I am 21 years since I was ordained as the minister. I've been preaching full-time in churches for almost 25 years now, and I've got to say, to be honest, I've never seriously dealt with the subject of women's ministry in that. It's often neglected, and that's wrong, and it's a real weakness in that being neglected. And it is a crucial subject that needs to be looked at, and so it's about time we are looking at it in this. We're going to look, first of all, at some women in the Bible, and we're going to do a wee overview of a lot of the women in the Bible. And first of all, we're going to look at some of the, the homemakers, describe it that way, women whose role was particularly around the home and within the family. And it's going to be a quick shoot through so much of the Bible as we look at this. We're going to begin with Sarah. Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham, she is commended in Scripture for her support and her submission to Abraham. First Peter 3 talks about that, how she even called him master. And she's commended for that. She failed when she decided at times to, instead of be submissive, decided to take things on her, according to her own wisdom. We think of the situation with Hagar and Abraham sleeping with a servant, which was indeed Sarah's idea. So, she's commended for her faithfulness, but she was rebuked for when she went outside of God's will. Then we have Ruth, this great story of Ruth. She showed such tremendous loyalty to her mother-in-law, Naomi, when Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband died, and she returned with Naomi to Bethlehem, having embraced Naomi's faith in the God of Israel. Uh, some of the characteristics which are highlighted in the story of Ruth of how she was caring, she was humble, she was so teachable, and uh, she really listened to what her mother-in-law said. Another great lady we read in the Bible is, is Abigail. 
She stands out for her loyalty to her husband. She was very enterprising when her husband, Nabal, who really was no good, he was a, a bad rascal, and in, because of the way he treated David and his men, he was in risk of David wiping him out. And you remember that indeed Abigail steps in and gives these gifts to David. And, that, and so she stands out as a lady who is, is commended for the, her loyalty to her husband, even though he certainly didn't deserve it. Then we have Esther, Queen Esther. She used her position in the Bible to influence her husband, King Xerxes, when indeed he had been tricked by Haman, this plan to kill the Jews. It was her who helped her husband to be a better king, to fulfill his role in a better way, and the people of God, the Jews, were rescued at that time. Then we have in Proverbs 31, the woman of God, she's described. A tremendous chapter. She stands out as someone who is loyal, godly, hardworking, someone who her family will rise up and call her blessed. But she's a very enterprising woman. She's not just a woman who's tied to the kitchen sink, certainly not. She's a woman who, who buys and sells a field. She's enterprising. She uses the gifts that God has given to her for the good of her family. And then we think of Jesus' followers, the group of women who followed Jesus and his disciples to care for their practical needs. These women included Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of James and John, and many others were involved in this as well. And these women, it says in the Gospels, they contributed from their own money. It's their own finances he used to help to sustain Jesus and the other men who were with them in the ministry that they were involved in. Next we have Tabitha. We come across her in Acts chapter 9. We come across her when she dies. She's also called Dorcas. And when she died, suddenly Peter is sent for and situation he's brought in, and the people are busy showing her all the lovely things she made. She's described as someone who was full of good works and acts of charity. And then she was restored to life through the power of God for the sake of the, the church of God. So here was a woman who was caring and devoted within the family of God. And then just a final one I'm going to mention in this section is Priscilla. We meet her also in the book of Acts along with her husband Aquila. She showed hospitality to Paul and wonderfully engaged with her husband Aquila in guiding Apollos. This seemed to be a great firebrand in teaching the Word of God, but his teaching wasn't the soundest. And so Priscilla, along with her husband, informally was used to guide him into the truth. If you look at these women who are throughout the Old and New Testament, they're commended for their supportive role very much what we saw last week, that helper nourishing role. They were engaged in that. And indeed, the men around them, the families around them, the church, the churches around them would have been so much weaker, would have been less loving places to have been if it wasn't for the, the devotion of these women who were using the gifts that God had given to them to care and to support in those situations. But then I want to look at another group of women we meet in the Bible called the, the prophetesses. 
it's not the easiest word to say, uh, and that and these prophetesses, uh, there's a group of them here. First one I'm going to mention is Miriam, the sister of Moses. When they crossed the Red Sea, she led the children of Israel singing praise. And that she actually, she led, if you look at it closely, it says she actually led the women in singing praise to God. Sadly, though, she is rebuked in Numbers 12. She became jealous of Moses' leadership. She thinks that thought he was getting too much attention, and she and her brothers should deserve more. She wanted to usurp his authority, and she's struck down with leprosy until she repents, and then she is healed. So she's commended this lady who helps in leading the praise of God's people, leading other women in praise. But then she overstepped the mark and was punished for it. And then we have Deborah, who we were thinking about there with the, the boys and girls, a tremendous lady, a tremendous character in the Old Testament, a giant among women. She was a prophetess and a judge in Israel. In a time of spiritual backsliding, at a time when the men were failing to measure up to the task, she stood up to be counted. She brings God's word to Barak. So God spoke to her, and she passes it on, and she encourages him to lead. She encourages him to fulfill his responsibility as the leader, as a leader in Israel. His hesitancy meant that the glory of the victory would go to a woman in the case of Jael. Calvin spoke about how Deborah's judgeship was in a sense a, a judgment on the men of Israel. And in many ways, she is showing the men up who were failing in their responsibilities at that time. Now, Deborah has been used at times as, as evidence for why women should be ministers today in the ordained ministry. Uh, when I was in college, I had, was asked by a professor, I had to write an essay on what lessons come from the story of Deborah for women in the ordained ministry today. Uh, it was a 2,000-word essay. <laughs> I don't think my lecturer liked my essay. He wrote 800 words in reply to, to my 2,000 words. And that. But I think when you look at this closely, look at this closely. It's, uh, she is a prophetess. She's someone who received God's Word and passed it on. She was, had an informal role in, in judging and guiding people. But her real desire was to encourage the men to do what God was calling them to do. The next one we'll come across is a lady called Noadiah. Uh, she was a false prophetess in the time of Nehemiah when the Jerusalem's walls were being rebuilt. Uh, we'll not say too much about her then. Uh, then we come to Huldah. Uh, this is during the time of the reign of Josiah. Uh, she's mentioned once in the book of Second Kings and then Second Chronicles, the same story. She received a message from God about the, the judgment that would come upon the people of Judah, and she passed it on. And that was her role as a prophetess. Then we have Anna coming to the New Testament, and when baby Jesus was brought to the temple, they met Simeon. Mary and Joseph met Simeon, first of all, and they met Anna, who is described as a prophetess who spoke to others about the significance of Jesus. And then the final ones just to mention are Philip's daughter, daughters. We read these about these in Acts 21 and verse 9. 
Uh, they're mentioned as being prophetesses. Nothing more is said of, about them except that. Now, the significance of these women is to show that God's Word came equally to women as it did to men. And the prophetess in the Bible, though, if you look at it closely, generally speaking, their role was an informal role. Uh, they never held positions of authority like what the male prophets did. Uh, their roles were not the same as the likes of your Elijah's, Isaiah's, and Jeremiah's, which had positions of authority. But it's important to realize they did receive God's Word, and they passed God's Word on. And so, we should never undervalue their role. At the same time, we should not overstate their role. And so, they received God's Word, and they passed it on, in generally in informal situations. Kevin the Young, I think his quote about these women is very good. He says, these are not wallflower women just hanging about in the background. They're examples of strength, courage, and resourcefulness. So, We've seen two types of women in the Bible. We have the homemakers very much supporting the role of their husbands, and then we have these prophetesses supporting the role of others within the family of God, the people of Israel. Let's come to the New Testament. I want to think about Paul's teaching on women, moving on to that, and then thinking about how that applies for us today. And as we think of Paul's teaching, we want to think about, first of all, women in worship. When it comes to a service of worship, what is the role of women in it? And we're going to look at three passages of Scripture. They're going to be up on the screen here, these three passages of Scripture, which Paul speaks about the role of women in worship. I hope you can read them there. First of all, 1 Corinthians 11 and 5, uh, Paul says a lot more, but I'm going to highlight just probably the main bit. Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they should be in submission. And then 1 Timothy 2 and 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, let's think of those passages and, and what we are learning about. And what does this teach about the role of women in the New Testament and the role of women today? If you take the middle passage, 1 Corinthians 14, some have taken this to mean that women are to be silent in services of worship and not involved in any way in speaking or leading up front. And there's some churches take this line. And I remember a number of years ago, Sheriff and I were involved with, uh, through a friend. We went to a wee church, or a wee, it was really a, a loose brethren assembly in South Dublin. And when their youth fellowship met, in following what is taught here, when the youth fellowship met, when it came to a time of prayer, they divided up into two groups in two different rooms. The boys in one room, and the girls in another. Girls and boys were not to pray together. Now, that was their understanding and interpretation of 1 Corinthians 14, and I'm in no way ridiculing them. That was their understanding. And whatever we believe, and whatever we think about the role of women in the church, 
It has to be based on Scripture. We just can't ignore passages like this and decide ourselves what we think is right. That's a, a recipe for disaster. Now, when you read the different commentaries on this, it is interesting, most of the older Reformed commentaries would follow this line that women should be silent, basically full stop. And so, shouldn't be involved in leading in praise, in praying, in reading God's Word, or things like that. But here's the question. How does this command for women to be silent, which Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, fit in with 1 Corinthians 11, where he says women pray and prophesy? Now, his point in 1 Corinthians 11 is that when women pray and prophesy, they have to do it with their heads covered as a sign of authority over them. And so, it seems to be clear there that the women in gatherings are praying and prophesying. How do you fit this together? And how do you fit then 1 Timothy 2 and 12? which speaks about not permitting a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather she should remain silent. Edward Donnelly, formerly of Trinity Reformed Presbyterian Church and a New Testament lecturer in the Reformed College, so someone who knows the Scriptures and particularly the New Testament very well, he argues that the silence required of women in 1 Corinthians 14 was not absolute, but rather in certain circumstances. In 1 Corinthians 14, in verse 28, instructions is given for a person who speaks in tongues at certain times for them to be silent. In verse 30 of the same chapter, instructions are given for people who are prophesying to be silent at certain times when a revelation comes to someone else. These instructions for those with tongues and those with prophecy to be silent were not absolute, but in certain circumstances. And really what Edward Donnelly is saying, and Kevin the Young in his book on women in the church says the same thing, that indeed 1 Corinthians 14, women being silent, was under certain circumstances. And there are two ways people are, are trying to maybe work out what these circumstances were. Some have said that 1 Corinthians 14 is when women were getting rowdy in the Corinthian church, and they were getting rowdy and they were causing sort of havoc in the services with their newfound freedom, and in those situations they had to be silent and quiet. That's a possible interpretation, but I don't think it's the best one. The command for women to be silent follows after Paul's speaking of prophecies being weighed up in verse 29 of that chapter. And it's in that context, in that authoritative work of weighing up the prophecies, which would have been done by the leaders in the church when that was being done, that the women were to be silent in those circumstances. So they weren't to be involved in that authoritative work of weighing up prophecies. Kevin DeYoung, the way he fits it together, he says, teaching and prophecy in the early church were not identical kinds of speech. Teaching, passing on the apostolic deposit while explaining and applying Scripture was authoritative, instruction in a way that prophecy was not. 
Prophecy was people received the Word and they passed it on. Whereas preaching, teaching was taking that Word and applying it to people's lives with authority. And what is the general position within the Reformed Church is that women are not allowed to have this authoritative teaching role over men. I think that's the only way that you can fit those three passages together, that women can take part. In the New Testament, it's mixed about praying and prophesying in public, but when they did that, they had to have a sign of authority on their head and head covering. Now, how that applies today, I believe, is that when women do take part in services of worship, they must do so in a way that never undermines the divine order of the leadership of men over them. It shouldn't be done in a way that's rebellious. And so, in my understanding of this is that that's why I do not have women in church preaching sermons. That is an authoritative teaching role over men, which the Scriptures clearly rule out. And if you look at the reasons, if you look at the wider context, it goes back to creation and the divine order of the man being the leader and the woman being the helper. It's clearly in those situations. But I do believe that women can fulfill other roles in church, like praying, doing missionary reports, doing a, a Bible reading, even introducing praise, sharing a word of testimony for what the Lord's done in their lives. And what about children's addresses? What about it? I personally have no problem with women doing it in the light of Scripture because they are teaching the children. And those who are doing children's addresses need to remember that they're teaching the children in the fellowship. And for me, that's no difference for me sitting as a woman does that in a service of worship as me sitting over at a holiday Bible club while a woman teaches the children there. It's a wee bit maybe different looking now that those children aren't coming up to the front. It was maybe more obvious that that was particularly the children being taught in those circumstances. But the key thing is that the New Testament does not forbid women taking part in services of worship. They're not to take a role that is authoritative and teaching over men. But outside that authoritative teaching role, there is such a variety of roles that women can do in worship and in other situations as well. And probably what Paul says next, and we'll go to women teaching women is the next point. I want to read just a few verses here from Titus 2. I should have had them up. We'll read these tonight, but just let me listen to this. Titus 2 and verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the Word of God may not be reviled. So while women do not have a teaching role over men within church, they do have a teaching role to other women. Brian Chapel says this. He's an American uh, minister. Some of you will know the name. He says, the simplicity of this plan may cause its profundity to escape those of us in modern society. For the ancient world, this was a very bold plan. 
For a man to teach women to instruct others broke societal barriers and elevated the status of these women. What Paul was teaching here was absolutely radical. Women did not teach. Remember the Jewish mindset? It's a bit like the, the Taliban in Afghanistan. Women do not be taught. Women do not need to be educated. Women do not learn the Torah. That was the mindset of the Jews. Jesus totally broke that. He taught women. He taught the woman at the well. He taught Mary. He believed in teaching women. And here, as we move on to the New Testament, not only are women to be taught the Word of God, women are to teach women what they have learned from the, women, from the Word of God. And women teaching women is a vital part of church life alongside the other ministry that takes place. There are perspectives and there are, there's understanding that women can bring to teaching and applying of God's Word to other women that no man can bring to a woman. And so, there's something missing within the ministry of a church if there is not a place for women regularly teaching women. Ligon Duncan, another American minister and a theological professor in the Reformed Seminary, says, a primary task of the women's ministry is to train women in the biblical principles and practices of womanhood. This does not mean that biblical womanhood is the only thing that women study, but it does mean that there should be a resolute commitment to weave these principles throughout the entire women's ministry. I love that phrase that is used about the the boys' brigade about training boys up to Christian manliness. I think it's a lovely phrase. Within the church, there should be women training women in womanhood. Yes, it happens in our girls' brigade, but it should be happening for older women, mature women, to other women as well. Too often within the Reformed church, this teaching role of women teaching women from the Word of God has been neglected. And I think what has happened is there's been such an emphasis that the ordained ministry, the ministers and the elders are men. There's been such a, an emphasis on that, and rightly there should be an emphasis on it, but we've never thought, well, what is the role of women alongside the ministers and the elders within the church? And what has happened, I think there's what has come from that, there's been a, a culture within Northern Ireland churches and, and elsewhere that there, women do not teach women the Word of God. And that is wrong. That is not the way it should be. Now, thankfully, in recent years, through organizations like the, the Gospel Coalition, if you go on to their website about women's ministry, uh, the Cornhill Institute, the Irish Women's Convention. There's women who are really, who understand and with the full support of the leaders in their churches are now teaching more and more what women's ministry should be like alongside the other ministry within the church. So what have we seen here this morning? We have seen 
that indeed that there's an emphasis in the Bible of women in that nurturing, supportive role in their families and love and care in those homemakers. We've seen, though, that women do receive the Word of God in the, the Old and New Testament, that we don't have prophets or prophetesses today, but the application is women can equally know the Word of God and study it and understand it today as men. Now, women do not use their understanding to teach men the Word of God, but women should be using their understanding to teach women as well as children the Word of God today. And what we should see more and more is this growing within our church. One of the number, a year and a half ago when we started the, the Women's Midweek, one of the, the reasons why we started that midweek, we were trying to cut down our, our program so that men and women would be out less in the week. But another reason behind that was that we were concerned that so many women, and I know you're women who love Jesus, who want to honor Jesus, but there are so women, many women like that who never were at a Bible study or prayer meeting. And really, we're doing the more integrated format to encourage women to take seriously the learning and the studying of Scripture. And that should then move on to women then teaching women more and more of Scripture. Let me say to the women here, I cannot, and the elders in this church cannot teach you all you need to know from the Word of God. You need godly women as well, and we have many able women who are able to do this, to teach you the Word of God as well.